Welcome to the ESG Matters Podcast. My name is Amat Gomis and I am your host. Today we have Katya Hantel, Head of Global Sustainability at ConAgra Brands. ConAgra Brands Incorporated is an American consumer packaged goods company that makes and sells products under various brand names that are available in supermarkets, restaurants, and food service establishments. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. I am thrilled to be here. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And just to start off, I was wondering if you could give a bit of background on yourself and your work at ConAgra Brands. Sure. I um, lead our global sustainability strategy across the major markets that we serve, which is primarily U.S., Canada and Mexico, though we source internationally. So our ESG issues really um, circled the globe when you take into account our packaging materials and our ingredient footprint. Uh, What I think I'm most proud of is our focus on sustainable product development. We have a 2025 sustainable packaging goal to convert non-recyclable plastic packaging to plant-based recycle or compostable, as well as to lower the carbon footprint of the ingredients that we source by 20% by 2030. That's great to hear. And picking up on that thread of what you're doing to improve the environment and how you're looking at what your global footprint is, we're starting to see globally, maybe more so in the US, but definitely other pockets of the world as well, we're beginning to see a backlash against ESG or as some have termed it, woke capitalism. Can you give your opinion on why ESG is integral to business and business outcomes? Sure. Well, let me give you the perspective of the food industry. So as a food company, we are heavily dependent on the environment to grow the ingredients that we need to make our food. As climate change impacts agricultural patterns, as water scarcity impacts our ability to source crops, it is a true threat and risk to our business and our industry overall. So for us, ESG is about creating long-term business value. It's not just a PR effort. It's about managing risk and driving growth. And I'm so glad to hear that. And I think there's a lot of other companies, a lot of other industries that have the same tension where a lot of their business really relies on the natural environment. And by improving and maintaining the natural environment, you're ultimately securing your supply chain, proving your value chain, and also helping uh, consumers who want to make choices based on what they are looking for in a company to make that easier for them as well. And I think that's such an important concept that a lot of people who may deride ESG as a concept don't really understand uh, fully because there is a lot of value that can be derived both for, for the company directly, as you said, for the food service industry and ConAgra brands, but also for companies in all other types of industries where they rely on the consumer, whether it be B2B or B2C, which ConAgra Brands has both, and how those consumers really care about improving the environment and how they can make choices that speak to what they want to see out in the world. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm glad you brought up what consumers want because 
I think it's really interesting to look at what they're actually buying, not just what they say they want or they say they want to buy. When we had our investor day in July, we presented to all our investors the fact that sales of food products with sustainable attributes has grown over the past three years. Despite COVID, we are seeing increases from the single to double digits in sales growth for products that on the package note that they're tied to less waste, to sustainable agriculture, to sustainable packaging, to lower carbon footprint, or to water conservation. So consumers are buying these products increasingly. And as we look at our consumer mix, we have a huge increase in Gen Z consumers buying our products. Millennials are entering family formation, which is a time where frozen food and convenience become really important when you're eating at home. So we see a lot of truth in consumers actually buying what they say their values are. Yes, I think that's such a great point. And thank you for sharing that because that is so valuable for people to understand that consumers are voting with their dollars and you're reaping the benefit of doing this for those consumers and making the concept that oftentimes can be fairly hard for a lot of people to wrap their heads around and really distilling it and saying, all the great actions that we're doing at ConAgra Brands means X, Y, Z for you, the end consumer, whether it be uh, more recycle, more sustainable packaging, more sustainable food that actually the package holds. And that also brings me to my next question that I think not just for one industry, but generally, when you think about a model for integrating ESG into business, what are some of the attributes that you think would a company or a brand would do well to incorporate when they're thinking about integrating ESG into their business outcomes? Sure. I think you have to start with what is your North Star and make sure you're picking one that is aligned with what your business needs to do in the marketplace. For us, our ESG North Star, when it comes to environmental sustainability particularly, is healthy business, healthy planet. We need to do both things at once. So when we're setting our sustainability strategy, everything is designed to either drive growth with consumers. So like that sales growth that I mentioned before, or it is designed to mitigate long-term risks or avoid long-term costs. This might be things like sustainable packaging regulations that we're seeing emerging in certain states in the U.S. and that has existed in Canada for several years now. So how do we make all our ESG efforts drive business value? That is the way that we have found makes it sticky internally and makes it sustainable long-term. Yeah, I really like that the concept of that what is your North Star? Because I think that's so important for companies to truly spend a lot of time to figure that out and think about their corporate culture. What does it mean for their industry and also for where they want to grow strategically as an organization? And what you just mentioned and how you've done that with ConAgra Brands is really impactful because you were able to, like you said before, you have so many different inputs. You have so many different regions of the world that you have to contend with. How do you distill that into a concept that people can understand and leverage when they're making their own decisions throughout the organization? So 
whether they are in supply chain or if they're in marketing or if they're in any other part of the business, how can you create something that everyone can hang their hat on and make sure that they are implementing in a way that speaks to both the corporate culture, but also in their specific job function. So I think that's that's really amazing how you all have done that. Then circling back to this notion of woke capitalism and sort of this backlash against ESG, I'm curious about you know, what are, what do you think is behind sort of this motive that's driving some of this backlash that we're seeing in, in different publications and in sort of talking heads on TV? Like, what do you think some of that, what is the root cause of some of this backlash against ESG or how some people say woke capitalism? Yeah, well, I, I can't speak for everyone's motivations, but what I suspect is part of it is fatigue. There are so many problems that come at us, especially over the past three years, that all seem like they need to be fixed urgently, that I'm not surprised that some business stakeholders start to question the prioritization. If everything is urgent, how can that possibly be true? So maybe that's part of it. The second thing that I find is there still is widespread lack of understanding that sustainability is not philanthropy. It may have great philanthropic benefits, But sustainability is about survival long term. It is about access to markets. It is about meeting the expectations of younger generations that are looking to buy your product. So it really is a business strategy. And sometimes you'll still hear high level executives say things like, we pursue sustainability because it's the right thing to do, as if it's just about corporate values. I think the more and more people understand that mitigating climate change means that we're going to have long-term access to materials to make products so that companies like ConAgra can be in business for another hundred years, the less that they will misinterpret ESG and sustainability as just woke capitalism. I couldn't agree with you more. I think one of the other things that sort of pushing, sort of people have a pushback that sort of speaks to the first point that you made is also that unless you're talking about the environmental side, there isn't a lot of real rules and structure. So how one company can sort of identify what is valuable and what is important and germane or material for them can be very different than another company. And oftentimes, there's not that standardization that other parts of the business typically have because they're just more mature in nature. And I think with the maturity of ESG, and as you said, a lot of times you have to reframe it away from it is just the right thing to do, or it is a philanthropic activity at its root cause, and take it out of from it being necessarily a cost center for the business, but being really germane to the profit and loss that every business has to really struggle and contend with for longevity in the next, basically for the next century. So I think once people have a little bit more standards and and that standards are like really clear across industries, and I know a lot of different organizations like GRI and SASB and A lot of the reporting metrics are sort of driving towards that. But I think once that occurs, there'll be a lot more people who understand it better because they just will have a way to frame it in a context that maybe right now, unless you sort of live in it every day, can be quite confusing. You know, there's a whole bunch of acronyms that we use in this field that oftentimes people don't, and they're not being educated in this in a way that 
maybe people who are 10, 15 years more junior into their careers have a better understanding. So I think that's another thing we have to sort of deal with as part of the maturation of the field as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think everybody is in favor of standardization and on top of that, simplification, because sustainability professionals are now having to contend with you've got a customer survey to fill out, you've got an investor inquiry, you have consumer inquiries, you have all these requests for ESG data. The more time we spend reporting, the less time we spend doing. And it's critical to be doing. So can we simplify the reporting to what's most important for everyone to drive clarity and efficiency? Yeah, I can't agree with you more. I I did reporting for a long time in sustainability. And oftentimes you're having to do some serious mental gymnastics to try to put a a square peg in a round hole and say what you're asking for sometimes doesn't even make sense for this company or this industry. But you're asking this from everyone trying to get to that attempt of having something standard, but it really isn't useful for this field or for this industry or even for this company. And you do spend a lot of time, a lot of valuable time that you could be working internally to push new and more innovative approaches to improve the resilience of a company through sustainable measures, or you can help to work with your procurement to really improve your sustainable procurement process. I spend thousands of hours a year just reporting on various inquiries that on their face are very important. But at the end of the day, what is more important? Reporting to various people's inquiries, but or doing the work that would really show that there's that you're moving the needle internally and externally. Yeah. And then one other question that I have is that when you think about ESG professionals, do you think it's important for ESG professionals to be subject matter experts in a traditional business domain like finance or supply chain or to be more of a generalist where they have a generalist sort of understanding of the organization or should they be maybe as a third option uh, strictly involved in really a subject matter expert on an E, S, or G topic? I love this question. And I think I'm so glad you asked it because for us at ConAgra Brand, we are frankly at a turning point in how we think of hiring sustainability talent. And I know from conversations with peers, given the great resignation, talent, and labor shortages in general, they are starting to rethink how you source ESG talent too. We all know that demand for ESG professionals is exploding. You can find a sustainability job in any industry at this point, certainly in any large company. There aren't enough individuals out there who are trained on the E, S, or G, or certainly not all three at once, right? And what we have found is also if we staff our team entirely of ESG experts with a little general business knowledge, you know, maybe they got a management degree with a sustainability focus or some other degree that has a little bit of business, they still need time to learn and integrate ESG into finance, into procurement. And what we have started to do is the con is embrace the concept of upcycling, upskilling employees we already have sitting in these various functions 
who may have never gotten any formal ESG training, but are passionate about it. We're seeing more and more employees want jobs that are in line with their purpose. So our team is increasingly a mix of sustainability or ESG professionals and pure business specialists so that we can complement each other and really move progress faster. I've, I've been struggling with this as well. And I think the way that you just described how you're uh, sort of attacking this issue of staffing is really pretty much similarly inclined where I think there is a decent amount of people who internally have great institutional knowledge and they may know their industry, their field, like the back of their hand. And that is something that you can't replicate. And I think for people in the ESG field, like myself, who may have specialized in ESG sort of as a focus, there is that tension where you know everything about carbon methodologies, you can talk about that to your blue in the face, but there is that level of buy-in, internal buy-in that you need, and you kind of have to prove yourself that you know finance, or you know procurement, or you can talk to supply chain folks in a way that they understand, or facilities, or whomever, and oftentimes what, what you do see is that people who have, especially when you're thinking about much more from the tactical perspective, when people have that sort of level of subject matter expertise in a specific business skill or skill in the, in the industry, you get a lot more buy-in and you can move the needle a lot quicker, right? I think at some level there, when you're thinking about strategy, having someone who has a really deep understanding of ESG is very important, but maybe when you're thinking about the tactical needs of a team, you need to have a, a mixture of people who can say, I can help you uh, learn about finance because I have that finance background while you help me understand more of the nuances of ESG that I may not understand. So I think having that team is really important and building that team that's really cross-skilled is super important when you're thinking about the end of the day, you really want people who are able to push your goals forward, push the company forward and improve the environment and the world in which we live and operate. Yeah. And I would just like maybe leave your audience with an example of how a company can think about this that has been really helpful with, for us. So in the food industry, 100% cage-free egg sourcing targets are quite common. What we realized is our ESG team can tell you all about what's a cage-free egg and why is it better for the animal. We don't know how to buy one. So it was thinking through, if you've got a public target, who actually needs to execute it? And finding your upskilling opportunities and your partnering opportunities in the, or, or your hiring opportunities for those skill sets has really been powerful. Uh, thank you so much for sharing that. I think having a real world example really drives home the, the issue and the concerns. And I really want to thank you so much for being a guest on the ESG Matters podcast. This has been really informative. And again, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. What a pleasure to be here.